everybody's invited. Great time together, and we look forward to being there with all of you. Well, this morning we're beginning a new series, and it's a series entitled Unconventional Wisdom. And one of the things we know to be true is that in life we ex- get exposed to these statements and these principles that become beliefs that we adopt that over time we discover they were wrong. So, for instance, 70 years ago it was generally practiced and accepted belief that smoking was a good thing for you. Your dentist even encouraged you to smoke. And not only your dentist, but your doctor encouraged you to smoke. Everybody thought it was the thing to do. You know, they even gave cigarettes out to uh, soldiers going away to World War II um, because they thought it was a good thing. Um, and then even as late as the 70s, the Marlboro Man was on every advertisement, whether it was on TV or a magazine, um, encouraging you to be just like this cool dude uh, in his cowboy hat with his cigarette hanging out of his mouth. But it was discovered over time that conventional wisdom was wrong. And now there's warning labels on cigarettes due to all kinds of health issues. And we discovered that what? Conventional wisdom was incorrect. And so in this series, we are going to look at uh, we are going to look at conventional wisdom about some issues of faith, some issues of uh, church life, some issues of Christianity. And we're going to look at three statements over the next three weeks, and we're going to look at what you might have heard as conventional wisdom. And we're going to take that, and we're going to turn it upside down and shake it up a couple of times and look at what God has to say. And in doing so, I believe what we're going to discover is some unconventional wisdom that God has for us. Often in culture, especially in faith communities, there can be ways that we think and believe that get passed down to us that are not even spoken. And we want to see what God has to say about them. I'm indebted to my friends at Parker Hill Community Church up in Northeast PA for their ideas that helped to come up direct us towards this series. And so this morning, we're going to look at and we're going to explore the question, do rules make me more spiritual? Do rules make me more spiritual? Um, can tech team, the back screen is not on. There we go. Thank you. Uh, that's very helpful. I appreciate that. Um, do rules make me more spiritual? So to dive into this subject, I want to ask you a question. Do you have someone in your life who's an overachiever? Don't point to them or nudge them, but this is the kind of person that they always go above and beyond in every aspect of life, and they generally make everybody else around them look bad. Okay, you might have one of these in your family or someone you work with, or maybe it's like this guy, you know, 134 merit badges, you know. He just can't help himself, you know. He's the overachiever, you know. Or it's a person who always screws up the curve in your class at school, right? They always get a high grade. The whole class could bomb this test. They always get a high grade, and it messes up the curve. You know, some of them even have a pet that does the same thing. You know, they're just a little bit of an overachiever, you know. They just can't help themselves. And when you see someone like that, you simultaneously hate them and want to be like them, don't you? You know, you hate them and you want to be like them. You know, it's like the guy that comes in work and says, hey, you won't believe what I did for my wife for her birthday or for her anniversary. And you're like, I hope my wife doesn't hear about that. I hate you, man. Why didn't I think of that idea first, you know? That's what we think, right? You know, or it's the mom who's got her schedule for her kids for the whole summer, all her summer activities, they're all mapped out, and the kids, when they come, they all look like they're having a great time and enjoying herself, and her hair looks great as well. And you're like, I hate her. Why can't I be like her, you know? Uh, We feel this internal tension over people who are like this. But the truth is, it's not just in life in general, but it affects us in our faith too. It affects us in our faith. Because there's people that we see, there's people that we observe, and we're like, is that what I'm supposed to be like? Is that how I'm supposed to live? Is that what my life as a Christ follower is supposed to be about? 
So this morning we want to talk about rules. I want to talk about rules. Rules tell us what we should do and what we should not do. What we should do and what we should not do. And one of the questions that I'm often asked by individuals who are exploring a relationship with Jesus, who are new in their faith, who are kind of trying to figure out what does following Jesus look like, they will often ask me a question like this, and the question will be, what am I supposed to do? What am I not supposed to do? What I should be doing? What shouldn't I be doing? And they genuinely want to know. But the truth is, not just in our own personal lives, not just in the classroom, not just with our pets, we have people who are overachievers in their faith. Now, these are individuals who are nice all the time, regardless of how badly they get treated. And we want to say to them, don't you know Jesus got angry, so it's okay for you to be angry once in a while? You know, these are people that get up before the sun comes up and they spend time reading their Bibles every single day. They pray about everything all the time. Worship, no matter what setting they're in, is deeply meaningful to them. And every time you talk to them, they're always serving someone. Now, all those things are good things. And you'll hear me from this place encourage you in many of those ways. But when we see someone like that, we can easily assume that that's what faith, that's what following Jesus is supposed to be like. And their life quickly can become about the rules. But one statement I hope you walk out with this this morning is this statement, and that's that any faith that revolves around rules is fatally flawed. Any faith that revolves around rules is fatally flawed. So what do rules have to do with following Jesus? And today, this, this morning, I want us to look at several different equations and dissect these equations, some of this conventional wisdom about these things, and as we dissect these, hopefully gain some perspective and understanding about them. So the first one begins with rules. Rules. What are rules about life? Well, rules about life are people, people who live by the rules are people who don't lie, people who don't cheat on their taxes, people who are honest, people who don't take advantage of other people. They treat people nicely. They're generally good people. And maybe you know people like that. They're generally good people. And then they add a little bit of Jesus in the mix. And they know who Jesus is. They might come and attend a church on a regular basis. They know he came uh, to this earth as a man. They know that he died. We just celebrated that a little, a little over a month ago at Easter. And they know that he died on the cross for all of the sins of mankind. And that describes most of the community that we live in. Doesn't it? A lot of good people, right? A lot of good people. A lot of good people that follow the rules. A lot of good people that have a little bit of Jesus kind of sprinkled in, right? And in their minds, they're okay with God. And in their minds, they're going to heaven. In their minds, I'm good. I'm good. And so the rules are good because the rules do what? They keep me from doing the bad. They help me to do the good. And they help me get to heaven. Watch this video, this man on the street video that I came across with some people who were asked this exact question. We're out here today asking people what they think it takes to get to heaven. I don't know. I don't know if I believe in like you have to be good to get to heaven or if you're bad you go to hell. People hope there's an afterlife and that gives them a reason to keep, you know, that's their purpose in life, a lot of people. So do you hope there's an afterlife? No, I mean I think that's what a lot of people hope. I think that's what, what they're, the reason they go through the motions that they do in life and what they, the actions they take is to 
get to this, you know, heaven or whatever you want to call it, afterlife. So, what does it take for a person to go to heaven, in your opinion? Uh, I guess just to be true to yourself and know in your heart that you did the best that you could, and hopefully that you didn't, you know, hurt anybody along the process or you know cause any ill feelings or any ill will towards anybody. Like I said, just be good. Be good to each other. I don't, you know, I think everybody's views and beliefs are different, but I think at the end of the day, you know, how you treat one another is what matters. I don't know. I think maybe your soul might carry on through something else, another form, another medium, maybe reborn into something else. or So kind of a reincarnation type thing. Maybe. Or just like a recycling of energy. I think uh, we all have a conscience. It's driven by energy. That energy, as soon as you die, disappears in the earth and doesn't go anywhere else. So what do you think uh, happens to us when we die? Nothing. Lights out. Lights out. That's it. Huh? No yeah. more? It's all black? It's all black. What I think it takes a person to get to heaven is, number one, uh, confess that Jesus is God. Number two, um, live a life in which you are serving others as if do unto others, you know, your golden rules, do unto others as you want them to do unto you. And above all, serve, serve, serve. This so world, be a good person and do good things? Oh, yeah, That absolutely. gets you into heaven? Yeah, I think so, too. Yeah. So, and of course, you know, we're going to bring in the baptism, you know, because he mentioned about the baptism. So, so you got to be baptized to get Yeah, to you got to be baptized, yeah. So if there was a heaven, what do you think it'd take to get there? Just being a good person. It's pretty simple. Yeah. Pretty simple. Just follow the rules. Just be a good person. Maybe sprinkle a little bit of Jesus, you know, a little bit of cosmic energy, a little bit of do your best, a little bit of hope for the future. Um, but this is what the first picture is. The rules plus Jesus equals love. Rules plus Jesus means I'm okay with God. And so what does the Bible have to say about that? Well, Paul said this in Titus chapter 3, verse 5. He says, he saved us, referring to God, not because of righteous things we have done. The word righteous is the right way of living or right activities, right priorities. It's not because of those things that we've done, but the reason is because of God's mercy. Because God giving to me something that I did not deserve. God giving me the opposite of what I deserve, which is a consequence for my sin. Galatians 2, Paul says the same thing. He says, I don't set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness, a right way of living, could be gained through the law or following the rules, then what's the point of Jesus dying? It was pointless. It was pointless. And so this first picture of rules plus Jesus equal love, I want to draw a line through that, and I want to say that ignores this concept of grace. That ignores the concept that God offers a relationship with us through to him through nothing we can do on our own. Nothing we can do on our own. Too often we walk through life thinking, well, today was a bad day. Oh, man, I don't have a shot in heaven. Or today was a good day. I've got a good chance. Or maybe most of our days kind of keep my fingers crossed and hope for the best. There's a second picture, and the second picture just flips those around and says Jesus plus rules equals love. Jesus plus rules Equals love. Let's talk about this picture because this is one that's based on a faith system. And this is, a, this is one, again, that we have to remind ourselves any faith that revolves around rules is fatally flawed. Is fatally flawed. If you have a Bible, I want you to turn to Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. We're going to look at some verses in Colossians that talk about this. 
This is a system that involves Jesus in the system. There's a relationship with Jesus, but then added to it are a bunch of rules that help me keep doing the bad and do more of the good. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. But when it becomes a badge of honor that we wear around, then it's a bad thing. You say, can you give me an illustration, John? So one of the things that I encourage people to do when they're beginning a relationship with Jesus, they're walking with Jesus, is to open up their Bibles and to read what it has to say. It's God's love letter to you about how to live life and what a relationship with him is all about. And so you start to do that, and you find some things you didn't know before, and you're like, wow, this is really in the Bible, and this kind of tells me, oh, I shouldn't be doing that. I didn't know I shouldn't be doing that. Oh, and I should be doing this instead. I'm going to try to start doing this. And you start to read the Bible on a regular basis. And then you discover there's these things called Bible reading plans that kind of give you a place to read every single day, all, day, all week long, all throughout the year. And you're like, I think I'm going to adopt one of these, and I'm going to start using one of these to help me know how to live my faith. But then what happens is you miss a day in your Bible reading plan, and you think, man, I don't know that God's real happy with me today. And then you make it up the next one. You're like, oh, God's probably, I'm probably okay with God these days. And you see what you've done? What you've done is you've taken this rule that was designed to help you live your life, and now it's become something you've added to your life to judge your relationship with God. And what happens to many people in faith is someone has one of these experiences that's helpful to them, and then they say to you, you should, you should, you should do this. Paul writes that exact same issue in Colossians chapter 2. Um, in Colossians chapter 2, he's writing a letter to a group of churches, the churches in Colossae, which would be like writing to the churches in Reinhold. So it's a regional letter passed around all these churches. And he's passing this letter around all these churches and he's writing them because there's these people coming teaching things and the people are confused. They're like, what do we believe? So Paul says, this is what you is true. He says, don't let anyone judge you by what you eat, drink, a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. You see, what was happening is instead of individuals looking at their relationship with Jesus based solely on his unconditional love for him, they were adding all these other things to a relationship with God. They were adding food that they shouldn't eat or drink. Um, they were adding festivals that they had to go to. They were adding things about the Sabbath that they should do or they shouldn't do. You say, but John, isn't there a bunch of rules in the Bible that we're supposed to live by? There's a lot of rules in the Bible. There's over 600 of them in the Old Testament. But let me just do a little rabbit trail and explain those. So there's 600 rules in the Old Testament, and they're broken up into moral laws, which are laws about morality, and they're repeated later in the Bible, and we would still choose to live by them today. And then there's also laws called ceremonial laws. These are customs for this nation of Israel. So let me give you an example. The Ten Commandments that say, don't cheat, don't steal, um, don't be involved sexually outside of marriage, are those guidelines to live life by that are still true today that are part of the whole Bible? Yes or no? What would you say? Yes, they are. Yes, they are. But rules about kosher eating and about certain kinds of food and certain kinds of festivals that are just for the Jewish people, they're not for, to, they're not for all time forever. They were just for a certain time in the nation of Israel. And so as you look at this, Verse, back to verse 16, what do you think Paul's talking about? Things you should eat, drink, festivals, Sabbath. Do you think he's talking about the moral law or the ceremonial law? It's a ceremonial law. 
And that's what he was telling them. They were being told that they needed to practice and follow and obey to be okay with God. Paul goes on to say, that's not really what's real. He says, those things, those, those old laws, they're just a shadow of what's to come. What's real is Jesus. That's what's real. It's Jesus. My shadow back here, there it is. There's my shadow back there. That's not really me. It's just a reflection of me because of the light shining here. And he said, those old laws, those laws, it's basically just a reflection. It's designed to point you to what is real. And what is real is Jesus. He then goes on to talk about them again in verse 18. He says, don't let anyone who delights in false humility, the worship of angels, disqualify you. Such a person goes into great detail about what they've seen, and they're puffed up with their notions by their unspiritual mind. He talks about this false humility. He said, don't, don't get excited about people with false humility. Say, what's false humility? Someone who thinks they're bigger than they really are. They're full of hot air, we would say. Um, and why are they full of hot air? It says the worship of angels. The worship of angels. What are they talking about? They're talking about some type of a spiritual experience that people would engage in, and they would come and tell other people about it in great detail, and they would say to them, you have to go and do this. You have to go and experience this. It's an amazing thing. And we, we do this in the church community all the time. We're prolific for it. We're actually awful at it. We're awful at it. Because what will happen is we'll go and hear a great speaker, or, or we'll go to a great concert, or we'll hear someone do something, something significant about their faith. And we'll go to a bunch of our friends and say, you have to go and hear this person. You have to go and see this. You have to go and experience this. And someone will say, ah, that's not really for me. No, 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 you have to. You have to. You have to. And we're well-intended. It was meaningful to us. And we just want to share what was meaningful to us. But Paul's saying, he said, if you become so arrogant about this that you force this on other people, you force this on other people, they really make it a mess of things. It goes on in verse 19, says they've lost connection with the head. And you're like, who's the head? I don't get that. If you read back a few verses, you discover that the head is talking about Jesus. He said they've lost connection. They're, they're devoted. They're dedicated, but they lost connection to Jesus. So you have a group of people saying, you, can't, you have to do all these things. And then you have another group saying, you have to experience all these things. And you have a third group. Verse 20, 21. Since you died with Christ, the elemental spiritual force of this world, why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Don't handle, don't taste, don't touch. What's Paul talking about here? Well, the first group is saying, these are things you have to do. The second group is saying these are things you have to experience. The third group is saying these are things that you shouldn't do. You shouldn't do. You say, John, aren't there things that we shouldn't do? Yes, there are things you shouldn't do. Um, but what's your motivation for doing them? Why are you doing them? Why are you doing them? We talk about it in the faith community around this thing called spiritual habits or spiritual practices or spiritual disciplines. And there's habits and practices of engagement where you engage in God's Word, you come to church, you listen to teaching, you pray, you serve, and then there's practices of withdrawal where you step away and you choose to be away from people so you're in silence and solitude with God. You choose to step away from food and so you fast and you withhold eating so you can deny yourself 
to hear from God. And what these individuals were doing were saying, you have to do this. You have to do this. You have to do this. Because if you don't do this, you're not going to be connected to God. If you don't do this, you're not in relationship with God. And you're not going to experience all that God has for you. Paul goes on to say these rules, all these rules, the things you should be doing, the things you should be experiencing, and the things you should not be doing, all of those rules are based on what? Human commands and teachings. He said, but John, aren't some of those things important things to do? Yes, they are. But they don't establish your relationship with God. They don't make you more spiritual. You say, they don't? No, look what Paul says in the next verse. He says, such regulations, appearance of wisdom, self-imposed worship, false humility, harsh treatment of the body, all those things he was just talking about, they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. Like, wait, wait, wait a minute. I thought they were supposed to help me. I thought putting these rules in my life were supposed to help keep me from doing all this bad stuff. Isn't that what they're for? Paul says when they're disconnected from Jesus, when they're disconnected from Jesus, when he's not at the center all the time of every part of my life, and my life slowly over time has become about following the rules, they're not going to help you. They're not going to help you. You see, the sad part about this is rules and boundaries that we choose to put in our lives, we do that for good reasons, right? I choose not to watch certain things, not to watch TVs or movies with certain ratings because I don't want to expose my mind to that. That's a good thing, isn't it? Sure is. Sure is. But when I take that and I place it on someone else and I say to them, you will not be spiritual, you will not be a follower of Jesus, you will not be more like him unless you do that. I've just created what's called legalism. Legalism. And many of you in this room have walked away from that. But some of you choose to still live in that. Choose to still live in that. So, do rules, keeping rules make me more like Jesus? They really don't. And they actually don't really help you a lot with the struggles in your life if that has become central. And so rules plus Jesus equals love. That's a distortion of the gospel. It eliminates this important thing called grace because it's about my effort. Jesus plus rules equals love is a distraction from the gospel because I've lost sight of what's most important. I've lost sight of it. Because remember, any faith that revolves around rules is fatally flawed. It's fatally flawed. So you may be asking and thinking to yourself, so does this mean we get to throw out all the rules? The students in the room are cheering loud inside. We get to throw out all the rules. Pastor John said, no more rules, no more rules, right? right? Well, Paul has a different approach, and I think a much better approach. Let's look at what he says. In 1 Corinthians, he talks about it. He says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but I don't have love, I'm a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. 
He says, you do all kind of super spiritual stuff. If you have deep, meaningful experiences, but you don't have love, it's pointless. He then goes on to say, if I have the gift of prophecy, I can fathom all mysteries. I have this amazing faith. Big steps for God. But I don't have love. It's worthless. He said, if I'm generous and I give away all that I have and I sacrifice my body, I withhold stuff, but I don't have love, I am nothing. He said, what Jesus says needs to come in place of the rules is this thing called love. Relationship with Jesus is where it starts. It's where it begins. But what precedes that and what follows that is not rules. What follows that is love. What follows that is love because love drives everything. Love controls everything. Love is at the center of everything. We talk about all the time here that loving God fully and loving others deeply is the purpose of why we are here. And any faith that revolves around rules and does not have at the center of it a relationship with Jesus accompanied by love is fatally flawed. Recently I had a small group leader come to me and talk to me about a situation, to Robbie and I about a situation, and and they said, you have to do something about this situation. We're like, what's the situation? They told us. And they said, this is against the rules. And we listened to them, we listened to them. And I asked them this question. I said, what would be the most loving thing to do in this situation? And they hadn't thought about that. They hadn't considered it. Because all they could see were the rules. And I'm not suggesting what they said this person shouldn't be doing this person shouldn't have been doing. It wasn't very wise. But all they could see in front of them was the rules. Love wasn't on the radar at all. It wasn't on the radar at all. You see, this question changes everything. It's a scary question. It's a risky question. When I was a student intern after I got out of grad school, before we started the church here, um, I was working in a church with a group of young adults I was working with someone about 20, 25 years older than me, and, and we were going through this part of the Bible. And um, I said to them, I said, you know, I think we just need to tell people that they need to love Jesus, and they need to listen to the Holy Spirit, and they need to love others. And this person said, you can't do that. I said, why not? He said, they're going to mess up their lives. He said, you've got to have rules. I said, Jesus didn't say you had to have rules. Jesus fought against the rules. Jesus pushed back. The, he said, you've got to have rules. If you don't have rules, they're going to wreck their lives. And he and I had a massive tug of war about this whole idea of where do the rules fit? Where do they fit? You see, they have a place, but they're at the very end of the process, not at the front end of the process, not even at the middle. They're at the end of the process. You say, how do I decide what rules, what things I put in my life? How do I decide on them? The first thing, first rule of thumb is if God said it, learn to do it. God said it. Learn to do it. You know those moral laws that I talked about, those things that are all throughout the Bible, those things that are true even for today? God says you need to not steal, you need and you struggle with taking, not maybe physically out of the convenience store, but relationally you're a taker. It's all about you. You're not a giver. You've got to wrestle with this. Yes, God, to help change you. you got to say, God, what do I have to do to be someone who's gracious and gentle, not a taker, not a thief? What if you're someone who's not honest and you wouldn't lie overtly, but you, you kind of shade the truth. You spin the story. 
God says, you need to be a person of truth because I'm true. You've got to learn to do this. You've got to learn to live this way. And so if God says it, and he said it all throughout, then we've got to learn to do it. We've got to learn to do it. But if someone else says it, give it a try. Give it a try. Um, one of the things I've discovered about my own faith journey is that the practices that I engage in to help me be closer to God, they kind of change for me about every couple years. Now, not everybody's like that. Some people have been doing the same thing for 30, 40 years, and it works for them, and they're closer to Jesus than they ever have been. But for me, it's got to change every couple years. And so I'll do something for a couple of years. I'm doing something right now. It's, I'm kind of, it's kind of a rhythm. I feel really good about it. But I know there's going to come a time down the road where God's going to give me a nudge and say, I want you to do this now. And I want you to do this now. And I want you to do this now. And um, I don't usually talk a lot about them because I don't want my rules for me that God's given me to you to perceive these are the rules for you. I give you some general guidelines, some general principles, and we're going to talk about those in the coming year. Um, but you need to say, God, what are the steps I need to take that are going to help me become the most loving person I can possibly become? Because that's really what it's all about. It's all about loving Jesus with everything that I have, heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's about loving others and letting that love that he's poured into me and poured into you and let that love pour out into other people. The problem is, is when we take our rules for us that help us follow Jesus and we place them on other people. And so rules plus Jesus, that just creates distance between us and God. Jesus plus rules, that creates a distraction from loving God. But Jesus plus love allows us to establish those rules that will drive us back to him. And so as we close this morning, I want you to ask this question. What's the focus of your heart? Is it following the rules or is it following Jesus? Is it following the rules or following Jesus? And if you're following Jesus, is love right on the heels of it? Do rules make me more spiritual? The answer to that question is no. They're a part of our lives, but they're not the center. They're not what's most important. And they should be designed for each of us personally. You bow your heads with me as we close. God, you know uh, each one of us and you know the struggles and things that are going on in our lives and you know some of the rules and guidelines we put into place and those are designed to help us become more like you. And Lord, when something's meaningful to us, when something's impacted us in this way, it, it can be real easy to try to superimpose that on other people. So God, I pray that more than anything, we would walk away this morning um, with a heart that says, God, what, what do I need to put in place in my life? What should be true of me as a follower of you in a relationship with you to become the most loving person I can possibly be? And then just choose to live by that, God. God, help us to never lose sight of your grace your mercy, and your compassion in our lives. We ask these things in your name. Amen. Well, in light of John's message, let's end our time singing this old, old song, just the guitar and just our voices, about God's deep grace in our lives.
this grace of our loving Lord, grace that exceeds our sin and our guilt. Yonder on Calvary's mount outpoured, there where the blood of the Lamb was you that you are a gracious father. Lord, help us take off the chains of legalism where we see it in our lives. And may we rest in your love and your grace and your mercy. Thank you for all you've done for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great day, everybody. See you next week. Sure.